Hey guys, you are listening to Killer Cocktails, where the drinks are stiff, but the bodies are stiffer. This is a casual true crime podcast where two friends get drunk and talk about gruesome murders. Each week we pick a different drink whose name or ingredients set the tone for our stories. Welcome to Killer Cocktails. My name is Jackie. And I'm Drea. Uh, today, I'm going to tell you about Moscow Mules. Yay! Moscow Mules are the drink that we are having. Cheers, Jackie. Cheers. This is like a... I feel like this went through... Like, people went through a phase of Moscow Mules where all your friends would order them for a while. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, look at them. They're gorgeous. They come in this copper cup that's they come super in a, fucking cool. They come in a cool cup. Not always. Sometimes you'll order one, and then it comes in a normal glass, and you're like, you lazy fuck. Send it back. <laughs> no, I'll just drink it, but... <laughs> But yeah, um, so this one I found on, so liquor.com is apparently a website and they have a thing. Called, <laughs> apparently a website. <laughs> and uh, they have this thing called behind the drink mm-hmm. where they tell you the stories of. Oh, cool. Behind the drink. So there's your research. Yes. Boom. Well, the, I, and I went to one other source. Jackie, going above and beyond. Uh, yeah, not really. Cause the other one's like from like a company's website and it's like the way the company tells their history. Got it. You know, so it washes it a little bit. It probably takes out the parts where people were like banging kneecaps and stuff. It's every business's history. <laughs> banging kneecaps. So in 1947, Edwin H. Land invented the Polaroid Land camera. The what? <laughs> <laughs> the Land camera as opposed to the C camera? Well, no, his name is Land. <laughs> oh. Edwin. <laughs> 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 okay, so I took it a different way. <laughs> Edwin H. Land invented the Polaroid Land camera. <laughs> cool. So, <laughs> he essentially invented instant photography. All right, so he invents this camera. Then you got this other guy. John G. Martin is an executive at Hublin, Hublin Drinks Company, and... They had just purchased Smirnoff vodka. So Ooh. they just picked up Smirnoff. They're about to make some money. But they're not. Nobody wants it. What? So, what? They, so they pick up Smirnoff and he's got this, he's got all this booze that nobody wants. And he's kind of a crafty fellow though. So they've just invented this instant camera. So he goes with copper cups, Polaroid cameras, and he goes to bars and he says, hey, make a drink, make this drink called the Moscow Mule. Hold up the copper cup, hold up the Smirnoff bottle, and let me take a photo of you. I'm going to give you a copy of the photo because it's still like a novel thing that you'd get this instant photo instant of yourself. Photo, yeah. And then he takes a second photo and he takes and he keeps that second photo and he goes down the street to the next bar and then he shows that bar owner or bartender and he goes, look at this cool drink they're making down the street. It's called the Moscow Mule and it's got this neat looking cup. And then he gets them all into it. and He's what? like, I'll take your photo of you making it. And he just starts creating this market for this drink that doesn't exist yeah dude that's smart he's a crafty fellow okay so that's john g martin and that's like ultimately how like the how the growth curve of it takes off okay but before that so the inception of the drink what a weird thing to do with your instant photography you know what i mean like yeah it wasn't for like medical purposes or you know something like that well that was just john g martin's scam off of it okay but it was the edwin h land dude who invented it oh got it sorry this was just john g being like I'm John G. I'm John G. Makes me think of Memento. John G. If you haven't seen that movie, you gotta see it. So when I was a kid, can't remember it. Oh, you gotta watch it. All right. 
All right, so the Moscow Mule, the drink that we know of, was invented in 1941. Okay. So uh, there's this guy. So John G. Martin, I already told you about him. He's the one, he works for the company that just bought Smirnoff. So that was in the 30s. And he's got a buddy, Jack Morgan. Jack Morgan is the owner of a Los Angeles British pub, Cock and Bull. Oh, okay. So their story is that those two came up with the drink. But there's this guy, so in 2007, a Wall Street Journal article comes out that alleges that Cock and Bull's head bartender, Wes Price, says he invented the drink. There's always someone else. Yeah. Well, and essentially, and, like, and Wes is from the same bar, so I, I think everyone's a little bit right. Essentially, they've got all this vodka that nobody wants to buy. So we'll, we'll get to that. So, like, uh, Martin has the rights to Smirnoff, and he's having a hard time convincing Americans to drink it because Amer- Americans aren't into vodka. It's just not popular at the They're time. They're into gin, those gin martinis. Oh, yeah. Um, and then it's also it's established fact that Jack, or, yeah, Jack Morgan, who owns this bar, had ordered way too much ginger beer. So oh, you've got John G. Martin who's sitting on all this vodka that nobody wants to buy. You've got his buddy Jack Morgan who has all this ginger beer and needs it to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the head bartender of the Cock and Bull. So I, I imagine he's like, well, let's just put these together. I'm going to throw some lime. So I'll bet all three of them kind of came up with yeah. it. Essentially, it's we got to clean out the basement. We got all this stuff we got to get rid of. Let's invent something and push it. How fun. Just to be like, okay, here are your ingredients. It's like Top Chef or like the, what was it? With oh, the bad, chopped. Yeah, it's chopped. It's like a <laughs> version of chopped. <clears throat> Make these things palatable. Yeah. And yeah, so, and then they go off. So then the third part of this is, uh, so this is off of Moscow Copper's website. So this is a, a famous established copper mug company. So they say that in 1941, Sophie Ber- Berezinsky, Berezinsky. So she uh, emigrates to the United States from Russia, and she brings with her two thousand solid Je- copper mugs. Jesus, like in a carry-on. Yeah. So her father owned and operated this factory in Russia, uh, and it was known as the Moscow Copper Company. So back, uh, so she creates the design for the mug, and then her father is the one who like presses and stamps it out. So she invents this cool looking mug. Her dad makes it. They make a ton of them they've got two thousand of them nobody in russia wants them well you got to make sure you have a market for these you can't just be like i have a cool idea sitting on a dream that dream's gonna take her through all right so but it's a nightmare right now because nobody wants it (laughs) so then she and her dad are like you know what america is america's the land of opportunity and america will buy anything anything i mean slap chop (laughs) (laughs) look at me look at me slapping the nuts slapping my nuts that guy what did that guy t- He died. He died. He died. How'd he die? I would say cocaine. Mm. It was I feel like it was drugs. No the Hi, I'm Billy Zane. Oh, that he guy. He died he on died. a plane from Coke. Okay. So or a guy, heart attack from Coke. The other guy might still be alive. The other guy I feel like went to jail. The other guy there's a story there. Okay. We'll look it up. Slap chop guy. Anyway, go to America. They'll buy anything. They'll buy slap chops. <laughs> So she brings over all these mugs, and nobody in America wants them either. And then eventually her husband, Max, is like, look, man, I don't want these in the house. You've got to go sell them, or I'm going to throw them away. And she's like, no. Like, look, man, my wife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> look, man. Look, man, you got to get rid of these. Uh, so then she's like, no, like, this is my dream. Like, I invented these. My dad made them. 
I don't want them to end up in a landfill. So she straight up goes door to door in Hollywood to different restaurants and different lounges trying to find somebody who wants to buy these mugs from her. And where does she go? The cock and bull. What the fuck? She happens to come across them while they're concocting and coming up with, we got to get rid of this vodka. We got to get rid of this ginger beer. Yeah. And then here she comes with these novel little strange mugs. Yeah. And they're like, boom, there's the trifecta. Yeah. Moscow mule. Because it gets all frosty. Well, and she's from Moscow. It's the well, Moscow no, Copper Company. You know, I was thinking in my head. It's <laughs> like how cool it looks with the frost. And then I said it out loud. <laughs> Obviously, it didn't fit there's with no, what you were There's saying. no way for us to include it in the episode because everyone would turn it off and not listen. But the 10 minutes of cackling childish laughter that we had to get through to get to that story oh god was impressive well it's because at first we had technical difficulties so the whole story didn't get recorded yeah and then we just went into a giggle fit total giggle fit and we got I haven't had a giggle fit like that in a while I, we were both crying <laughs> could not recover we both had a, a instant fear that because we are in oregon that she accidentally bought like a a thc ginger beer or something yeah and it's like and, it, and i couldn't tell because it's it's cock and bull ginger beer at the grocery store yeah yeah all right cool so on with the stories on with the stories all right so now we're gonna jump into the stories and we're doing moscow mules yep. so i went moscow mm. and i apologize profusely now because there's a lot of russian names Oh, I thought you were going to give horrible details. Oh, they are. Yeah, they are. Okay. Oh, Jackie. <laughs> Come on. You know me. Um, but I'm so sorry. I'm not going to say any of these right. So I'm going to try his name first, the the killer we're going to be talking about, and then I'm going to have my good friend Google Translate help me with all the other names. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, okay. So I'm going to tell you the story of Endry Romanovic Chikolet. <laughs> I'm butcher that so bad. I'm so sorry. Uh, anywho, he is known as the butcher of Rostov, Rost, Rostov, and the Red Ripper and the Rostov Ripper. I'm saying this all wrong. We're in Russia, and this guy's killing people. And he's killing people. Okay, so we don't know a year yet. Not yet. All right, so we're gonna get into the backstory of Endry. So Endry was born on October 16th, 1936, in Google Translate. I'm not going to be able <laughs> Oh my god. Um, okay. It's better than I can say it. That's where, which is a village, that's where he was born. Yeah, okay. which is a village in the heart of rural Ukraine. Okay. So right before he is born, Stalin is in power. Okay. And he's setting up these events designed to cause a famine in the Ukraine to destroy... Everyone who is seeking independence from his rule. Stalin is. Stalin. Yeah. So this famine is known as, fuck, I didn't do this one, uh, Holodomor, and an estimated 7 million people died. Isn't that fucking crazy? Fucking insane. Okay. So the effects of the famine were still being felt when Endry was a child, but on top of that, the USSR goes to war against Germany, which means Ukraine starts getting bomb raids. Okay. So... It's not a good childhood yeah. <laughs> war going on. So if that wasn't bad enough, when he was born, he had a hydrocephalus. Which, hydrocephalus, yeah. Brain 
Swelling of the brain? Yeah. It's, uh, I think the nickname was like, I have water on the brain or water on the brain, mm. uh, which means, uh, so the actual disease means that there's extra fluid in the brain that causes press- pressure, which can lead to brain damage. Oh. So this caused him to wet the bed when he was a child and later in life he couldn't keep an erection, although he was able to ejaculate. Okay. So his home life wasn't all that great either. His parents were both farm laborers who lived in a one-room hut. And as a child, Endry slept on a single bed with his parents. Then his father was drafted into the war. And while there, his father was taken prisoner. And people considered him a coward for being captured. So poor Endry is, like, back at home. And his father gets captured in war. And they just, all the kids start picking on him. That's so crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. So these kids are picking on this kid because his dad got captured in the war. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's just, and you know, their parents are also like, you know, talking For sure. shit about him probably. Um, they're like, how could you be captured? Why didn't you kill yourself? Or like, why didn't you fight harder? Interesting. They weren't there. Yeah. You know? So he's getting bullied. Easy to say, eight-year-old. <laughs> Go to war. <laughs> um, so he's getting bullied at school, which makes him shy and awkward. Uh, fast forward to when he's 15 and, you know, he's a teenager and hormones are you know, full force and he wants to have sex, but he's shy and awkward. So he ends up overpowering this 11 year old girl who is friends with his younger sister. And during the struggle, he ejaculates. Then people hear about this encounter and they start making fun of him for that too. Jesus. Yeah. So fast forward again, and he has failed his entrance exam to Moscow State University. So he does a little national service and then he moves to Google translate. Another part of Moscow. Yes. <laughs> oh, Russia. Russia. Or, no, Ukraine. Who's to Ukraine? Huh? Okay. Okay. Which is now, uh, which is a town near Rostov in 1960, where he becomes a telephone engineer. His younger sister eventually moves in and sees that he isn't dating, so uh, she sets him up with a local gal, um, oh. and her name is uh, Faina who he ends up marrying in 1963. Sister playing matchmaker. Mm-hmm. Matchmaker, matchmaker. Mm-hmm. What's that from? The play. <laughs> Make me a... Find me a... Yeah, what... <laughs> but what one? I don't know. Okay. Um, so they marry, and despite his sexual problems, they have two children. And um, outwardly, they look like a normal family. Outwardly. Yes. In 1971, Andre becomes a school teacher, which was short-lived because people kept complaining that he was indecently assaulting the children. What? So he bounces from school to school until he ends up at a mining school in uh, Shakti near Rostov. Okay. Let's just keep moving him. Yeah. It's like <clears throat> Catholic priests. Yeah. Just put him in a different one. They're probably going to stop. Yeah. It was just there. So December 22nd, 1978. Andre killed his first documented victim, and her name is Google Translate. Lena Zakatnova. And she was just nine years old, oh. and he lured her into this abandoned house where Andre tried to rape her, and she tried to get away. Um, so he started to choke her, and then he stabbed her until she was dead. How old is he? Thirties. Um, like older. Okay. Yeah. Um, so she she dies, and um, he said later that during this struggle, when he stabbed her, that's when he ejaculated. Yeah. 
And uh, so he then discarded her body in a nearby river. Um, an eyewitness uh, saw Indri and Liana uh, shortly before her disappearance, but his wife gave him this like cast iron alibi, which took him off wow, the suspect these list. These fucking weirdo wives. <sighs> there are a lot of weirdo wives. There are a lot of weirdo wives. I don't know if it's like, you know, Soviet Union, you know, you gotta. It happens in America too. Everywhere. They're... Yeah. I don't know. See something, say something. Yeah. Um, so this other local guy named Alexander Kravchenko. Alexander. Yeah, Alexander. Um, so he was 25 and he had already served time for a rape charge when he was a teenager. So police just picked him up and was like, this guy probably did it. And um, Alexander ends up confessing to the murder uh, mm. while under interrogation because yeah. they fucking beat the shit out of him. Yeah. And so he was tried for the killing of Liana and executed in 1984. Oh, shit. Yeah. So fast forward three more years, and there still hasn't been any more documented victims. But Andre still can't get away from his child abuse rumors, so he starts working as a clerk for a raw materials factory in Rostov. I hope I'm saying that right one of these times. Uh, so now this is the turning point in his killing career because this new job had him traveling all over the place, mm-hmm. which gave him access to even more victims. And so on September 3rd, 1981, um, we have... <laughs> Thank you, Google. And she's 17, and she becomes his next victim. He strangles her, stabs her with a stick, because he for- didn't bring a knife. Stabs her with a stick? Yeah, he, like, lures her into the nearby woods, and he, he was just going to try to rape her, but, like, one thing led to another. Yeah. And then he gagged her with earth and leaves to yeah. prevent her from shouting. Yeah. And, again, the struggle made um, him ejaculate. Jesus. Uh, so this started his pattern of focusing on young runaways of both sexes, whom he'd be uh, befriend at a, a train station or, like, a bus stop, and then he would lure them into, like, a nearby forest where he would attack them and attempt to rape them um, with a knife instead of his penis. Attack them with a knife. Yeah. So, like, instead of inserting his penis, he would insert a knife into those um, cavities. Uh, So, in a number of cases, he ate the sexual organs or removed other body parts, such as the tips of their nose or the tongue. Um, in the earliest cases, the common pattern was to inflict damage to the eyes, slashing across the sockets and removing the eyeballs in many cases. How many people are we talking about right now? <clears throat> Just wait. Okay. So Endry uh, later admitted that he believed that his victims kept an imprint of his face in their eyes, even after death. So that's why he had Popping to... Popping the eyes out. Remove the eyes. Uh, so the eye mutilation was distinct enough to link other cases together, and the Soviet authorities finally admitted that they did have a serial killer on their hands because before this there is some reticence from authorities to agree that there's a serial killer often mm-hmm. in a lot of these stories yeah remember i think at this point yeah it's like the 70s going into the 80s and the soviet union had never really identified anyone as a serial killer before so okay that's not even on their radar until actually like this case yeah uh, what so- years are we talking about right now we're going late 70s into the 80s. So time of the prime. Time of the prime. Prime of the time. So as the body count rose, uh, rumors of foreign-inspired plots and werewolf attacks started circulating. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in October 1983, Andre killed a 19-year-old prostitute 
and then a 14-year-old boy, schoolboy in December. So we got one in October, one in December. And then during the same year, Moscow detective, whose name is Major... Yup. These are tricky. ...was uh, put in charge uh, of the investigation. He recognized that a serial killer might be on the loose and assigned a specialist forensic uh, analyst, and his name was... Come on, Google. Now you have to try. No! What's his name, Drea? Victor Brockfa. <laughs> to head the investigation. Victor Brockfa. Got it. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Okay, so the investigation centered on known sex offenders and the mentally ill. Okay. So a number of young men confessed to the murders, although they were usually intellectual, intellectually disabled youths who had admitted to the crimes only under prolonged and often brutal interrogation. Yeah. Much like our friend Brennan Dassey and making a murder. Um, okay, so uh, blah, blah, blah. So, but police did have some hard evidence about the serial killer, which was that he had an AB blood type. Oh, which ra- that sounds rare. Mm. AB? It's all about those O's, right? I feel like, yeah, the O's are everywhere. What? Oh, maybe I'm thinking, well, no, like O-Neg. O-Neg is a universal donor. They're always hounding O-Neg to come and Yeah. Oh, I guess because I feel donate. bad for them because no one can donate to them except for O-Neg. O-Neg can only have O-Neg, but anyone can take O-Neg. I'm O-positive, which I think is so apropos to my personality. <laughs> oh, positive. Oh, positive. I'm O positive too. Hey, O positive for life. Hey, so funny blood. O positive can give to anybody but O negative. Uh-huh. So we're pretty good. We're pretty good. I should go donate blood. I used to do it regularly, and then I started teaching preschool, so I was sick all the time. So yeah. they would call, and I'd be like, I'm sick. I can't come give you my blood. And I just got so sick of them calling. Yeah. I was like, look, take me off your list. I'll let you know when I'm healthy. Yeah. And then I got healthy and I didn't call them. Aw, Jackie. So I should go, I should do that again. They they still call me. I always pass out because they're always like, oh, this is a good vein. It's going fast. So I was like, could you slow it down? And then I go, boosh. <laughs> 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 oh, geez. So, um, and then I get so sick after I go. Oh, really? Yeah. And I have UC and nobody wants my shit. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, I feel I, I feel bad because I, I I take a well, I eat my cookie, I have my juice, and I feel like a million bucks. So I feel like I should go donate for I me. I should give him my my blood. Yeah. Um. Okay. So he is A B blood type. They got this information from the semen samples collected from a number of crime scenes, and they also got some gray hair too. Gray hair. So he's older. Oh. So in January and February of 1984, Andre killed two women in Rostov's uh, Aviators Park. On March 24th, he lured a, a 10-year-old boy away from a stamp kiosk in... Let's see if it'll happen. Novoshakhtinsk. Thank Ooh. God. Okay. They were there. <clears throat> so while walking with the boy, Andre was seen by several witnesses who were able to give investigators a detailed description of the killer. When the boy's body was found three days later, police also found a footprint of the killer and semen and saliva samples on the victim's clothing. So we got all sorts of All sorts evidence. of stuff. Yeah. Um, on May 25th, Andri killed a young woman and her 11-year-old daughter in a woodland outside She's of She's all over Shakti. the place with who he's killing. Mm-hmm. And she had actually known Andri for several years prior to her murder. 
Uh, by July 19, uh, by July 19th, he had killed three more young women between the ages of 19 and 22, and a 13-year-old boy. In the summer of 19, 19- this all in the same townish. Kind of, yeah. So I, imagine you live there. Like, you know people be dying. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like California through any year. Yeah. Scary. Change your hair. Like, Ted Bundy, he was going after, what, brown hair, parted the, down the uh, middle, so everyone went blonde. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Son of Sam. Everyone was, like, super scared if they matched the description of yeah. a victim. Yeah. Um, so in the summer of 1984, Andre was fired from his work as a supply clerk because he was stealing. And so Andre then found another job as a supply clerk in Rostov on August 1st. Uh, on August 2nd, so he's just been there for a fucking day. Andre killed a 16-year-old girl. At work? No, just nearby. And her name is... Natalia Golosovskaya. Natalia. And um, in Avatar's Park, which we've seen before. So he's going between this park and this town called uh, Shake Tea. And so he kills her at the park on August uh, 6th. He kills a 17-year-old girl on the banks of the Don River before leaving on a business trip. We are at so many bodies right now. Yeah. Okay. By the time Indri returned on August 15th, he had killed a young woman and a 12-year-old girl. Within the two weeks, an 11-year-old boy he had, uh, who had been How found strangled. How are they strangled, not catching this fool? Who had been found str- strangled, castrated, and with his eyes gouged out in Rostov. Yipes. Before a young librarian was also killed in that park that we've been talking about on September 6th. Uh, and I'm not even telling you about all the murders. What do you mean? It's just, there's the list, it just, it's so extensive that I just put in some of the dates and murders. Like, there's more. Jeez. So with all these bodies turning up, police uh, increased their numbers and mounted a massive surveillance operations that oversaw local transport hubs. And three was arrested after being seen trying to lure a young woman away from a bus station, but again avoided suspicion on the murder charges as his blood type did not match the suspect profile. Wait a minute. Okay. But he was jailed for three months. What's his What's his blood type? Well, I'm getting there. Well, okay, so I did look this up. Oh. O positive, uh-huh. 38% of the population. Okay. A positive, 34%. Okay. And O negative, 7%. AB positive, 3%. AB negative, 1%. Oh, shit, you're right. Super rare. Super rare. All right. Yeah. Okay, so uh, they let him off. For being the suspect for murder, but they're like, oh, you remember that theft you did back at your Mm -hmm. old job? We got to put you in jail for three months for that. Okay. Weird. Um, Nobody dies for three months. (laughs) But what the police didn't realize was that N3's actual blood type, which was type A, was different to the type found in his other bodily fluids, type AB. What? Because he is a non-secretor, which means his blood type cannot be determined by anything other than a blood sample. As police only had a sample of semen and not blood. Is that a thing? Andre was able to escape any suspicion. Yes. Guess who also was a non-secretor? Who? The Golden State Killer. Ah! <laughs> Isn't Whoa. that great? So, yeah. So, they, they, on both of these cases, they had semen samples. Okay. And so, they thought the blood type was this one thing. But non-secretors are also very low portion of the non-secretor population. Non-secretor meaning like? What I gather from it is just... The only way to tell his blood type is through his blood, okay. and his semen is going to show a different blood type because of something of non-secreta. I got nothing for you. That's, <laughs> that's, that's crazy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he skates by because science isn't 
isn't there yet. All so the way now, there yet. We're, so now they test for it. So now they okay. know. Um, and that's how they eventually, you know, they figured out with the Golden State Killer that he was yeah. a non-secretor. Um, a non-secretor. Mm-hmm. That's real gross sounding. <laughs> <laughs> what is a non-secretor? Uh, an individual of blood group AB or AB who does not secrete the antigens characteristic of these blood groups in bodily fluids, such as saliva, semen, etc. So it's not really a gross term. It's just the antigens. Yeah. It seems like a weird, um, it seems like a misnomer, like a weird name to call it. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so there you go. Uh, following his re- release, Indri found work as a traveling buyer for a train company based in... Oh, no, it's gone. Okay. Uh, Nova Chekhovsk. And yes. managed to keep a low pro- profile until July 31st, 1985, when he murdered boom, a young... Boom, born in 85. <laughs> <laughs> All right. When he murdered a young woman near Domodevedovo Airport. Domo Arigato, Mr. Rubato. Mm-hmm, which is near Moscow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one month later, N3 killed another woman in Shakti. At around the same time... Sochi? Ta- nope. Oh. <laughs> At around the same time as these murders, Victor, uh, who's the main investigator in this, um, asked psychiatrist Alexander. Oh, wait, I actually have his name. Here we go. Alexander Bukanovsky. That one. <laughs> uh, Asked uh, ask Alexander to help him with the case. So- Alexa, be quiet. <laughs> You're, when you speak Russian through your computer, Alexa wants to play jazz. <laughs> Some weird computer computer yeah. situation going on here. The touching of tentacles. Ooh. <laughs> oh my God. Um, so Alexander, who's a psychiatrist, curates a 65-page psychological profile of this killer. Ooh. Describing him as a necrosadist or someone who achieves sexual gratification from the suffering and death of others. Yeah. Uh, he also placed the killer's age at between 45 and 50, which was significantly older than previous, uh, previously believed. Was it the gray hair that helped? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> now people um, go gray in their 20s. That's not really that. Uh, desperate to catch the killer, Victor even interviewed another serial killer whose name is oh. Antoli uh, Silvok. Who, um, sh- who shortly before his educa- uh, execution, an attempt to gain some insight into what kind of person they were looking for. So they're getting super desperate. They're asking anyone and everyone for yeah, help. Yeah, they're Hannibal Lecturing it. Yes. <laughs> uh, so coinciding with this attempt to understand the mind of the killer, the killing stopped. This is because N3 was keeping close tabs on his case in the papers. So, however, the police thought it was because the killer was either incarcerated or, uh, yeah, for other yeah, crimes yeah. or died. Oh, thrown off the scent. Mm-hmm. Um, however, early 1988, Endry started killing again. Can't help it. Can't fucking Can't stop. Can't stop, won't stop. Uh, so, the majority occurring away from the Rostov area. So, he knows that's a hot area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, he's like, I'll just use my business travels to get new victims so over the next no one will tie together that (laughs) no over the next two years the body count increased by another 19 victims another 19 in addition to what you won't give me the body count (laughs) and it appeared that the killer was taking increasing risks focusing primarily on young boys and often killing in public places where the risk of detection was higher 
Um, such as when he killed a 16-year-old girl in his daughter's vacant apartment. He has a daughter? Yeah, he had two children. Remember? Uh, yeah. Well, obviously, I don't remember. Oh, there's this thing. You don't need to know how he conceived. Okay. Turkey baster? Well, because he couldn't, you know, get an erection. Yeah. Anywho, they figured it out. Um, so he <laughs> kills this young girl at his daughter's vacant apartment, and he dismembers her body and hides the remains in a sewer. Because the victim had been dismembered, police did not link her murder to the investigation. Because it was a new weird way. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, we got another weird killer here. Mm-hmm. So the country is fucking freaking out. And they started to push uh, for um, police to just fucking it's catch this guy. It's late 80s right now? Yeah. Yeah. And so police patrols were stepped up with Victor targeting likely areas with undercover police in an attempt to flush out the killer. And three evaded capture narrowly on a couple of occasions. But on November 6, 1990, um, he was coming from a fresh killing uh, of his final victim. Um, he was acting super weird and a policeman pulled him over and got his details. And his name was linked to his previous arrest in 1984. For stealing from work? Uh-huh. And then he was placed under surveillance. I feel like little things always get people. Yeah. Like a parking ticket. Taillights are out. Yeah. Okay, so N3 was arrested on November 20th, 1990, following more suspicious behavior, but he refused to confess to any of the killings. So they decided to let the psychiatrist, Alexander, who had prepared the original profile, to talk to N3. And he's just like, yo, Andre, I'm just trying to do this paper. I'm trying to get into the mind of, like, a killer. Like, tell me about yourself. Uh, and so Andre was like, fuck yeah. I'll tell you everything. Um, also, like, a handball elector kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and so he provided extensive details of all of his killings and even led police to the site of bodies that were previously undiscovered. He claimed to have taken the lives of 56 victims. Wow. Although only 53 of these could be verified. Whatever. Which was significantly greater than what the police had originally thought, which was 36. Dude. Yeah. So many people. Yeah. So having been declared sane and fit to stand trial, Uh N3 went to court on April 14th, 1992. And throughout the trial, he was held in an iron cage designed to keep him apart from the relatives of the victims. Imagine. Okay. I get it. But I also feel like, imagine trying, like, let's pretend he's innocent. (laughs) For a hot minute, let's pretend he's innocent. He's not, but let's pretend he is. If you were put in a fucking cage in court, Mm -hmm. and that's how the jury is looking at you, Mm -hmm. does that not paint a picture that makes it that much harder for you to overcome predispositions and try to be found innocent? I mean, definitely. A fucking cage? Yeah. Especially during this time when, like, well, maybe it's a outside of that realm, but, like, in the beginning of the Soviet Union, they were, like, taking anyone and everyone they could and being like, you're guilty, just admit yeah, to it. You know yeah. what I mean? And so there was probably a lot of, like, that one guy was already executed for something for he sure. didn't do, so. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I'm also imagining the Hocus Pocus cage. <laughs> Yeah, it's well, like hanging. I was thinking about the cage and like the Harry Potter trials where, um, was it Barty Crouch's son? Was, oh, yeah, and he's doing the tongue thing. Ugh. Yep. And he's in the middle, I and they re- have like spikes coming again. in. Yeah. Um. So, um, he in the media he was referred to as the maniac because his behavior in court ranged from bored to manic. 
singing and talking gibberish. At one point, he was even reported to to drop his trousers and wave his genitals at the crowd. What? Yeah. The judge appeared less than impartial, often overruling Andri's defense lawyer, and it was clear that he was going to be found guilty. Yeah. The trial lasted until August, and surprisingly, the verdict was not announced until two months later, on October 15, 1990, when Andri was found guilty on 52 of the 53 murder charges and sentenced to death for each of the murders. Wow. Uh, so Andri's appeal... Um, so this is the aftermath and you know he's going through an appeal and it's centered around the claim that the psychiatric uh, psychiatric evaluation which had found him fit to stand trial was biased but but this process was unsuccessful and 16 months later he was executed by a shot to the back of the head that's how they do it on february 14th 1994 shoot he had a lot of victims that's crazy yeah. Moscow Mule. Moscow Mule. Uh, thank you for bearing with me through my Google Translate translator. <laughs> that was a lot of difficult names. Yeah. And Russian, like, if you did not, you know when you, like, you don't grow up speaking a language, like, you don't formulate, you can't make those glottal sounds mm-hmm. and, like, you just can't do it? Yeah. Good luck. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you just can't, you can't sound Russian. I can't. Next time I'll find someone Russian to come over and... Just poke them. Just <laughs> don't say this one. Victor. <laughs> Victor. All right. Well, that was my story. We're gonna take a quick break, refresh our drinks, and then we'll hear from Jackie. Okay. So we're back. We're back. Uh, we didn't do another version of the Moscow Mule. You really just do what you do. Did we ever talk about how to make it? No. <laughs> we we oh. got derailed. By the 10 minutes of giggling. Oh, no. You guys, you guys, you, you've you been lost little birds, and now we found you, and now we're going to tell you how to yeah. make the Moscow yeah. Mule. But honestly, yeah. follow us on Instagram, Killer mm. Cocktails Podcast, because we always give you a teaser, and we give you the recipe beforehand. Mm-hmm. So if you're really, you know, down with the sickness and want to make the drinks, you, you can figure it out early. But... If you hung on this long with all your ingredients and you're just waiting to pour them together on the edge of your seat, like, how do I make a goddamn scalpel? You take your copper cup. You got crushed ice in it. Jackie, does it have to be a copper cup? It does not. Okay. <laughs> you were not expecting that answer. Nope. I mean, it could, it could. Oh, I know, because I complained earlier about bartenders not giving you. Yeah. But if you're at your house... Again, we haven't always had the correct dishware for what we're doing. That's true. Um, any vessel will do. But if you're trying to like live with the story that we told you, a copper cup is ideal. Um, so you have your copper cup. You got crushed ice inside. I can't remember why. we like You asked for crushed ice, and I was like, gotcha, girl. No, I feel like every time I've gotten a Moscow meal, it's crushed ice, and in the photos, it's crushed ice. All right, so crushed ice. So I then like you put crushed, crushed ice. Um, it's going to be an ounce and a half of vodka. We used Crater Lake Vodka. You need a half an ounce of fresh lime juice. And this is when we'll point out that we were talking to our intern, Matt. <laughs> our bartender slash we were talking to, We were talking to Matt, and he said, I mean, you guys keep making these lime drinks, and it's not lime season. Yeah. So there was like a little asterisk by, you know, do try some seasonality to your drinks. Um, do you remember the lime wars that were going on down in Mexico? 
No. The price of limes was through the roof. Oh, There's Jesus. a whole. I'll look into it because I'm sure we'll make another a lime drink. A whole dollar for one lime. That's oh outrageous. my god! What next? Avocados? Oh, don't get me started with the price of avocados. They're three dollars an avocado, and they're rock hard right now. <sighs> you guys, obviously, avocados are out of season, so don't buy them. And just we're from California, and we're millennials, so we avocado love avocado toast. But so, and, uh, okay, so back to, okay, copper cup, mm. crushed ice, ounce and a half of vodka, half an ounce of fresh lime juice, and ginger beer. Now, here's where I'll tell you, we used cock and bull, which I hadn't seen, but like now I see it everywhere, um, which apparently is the name of this pub where it was invented. So obviously they're cashing in on that. But we were talking about this the other day. We were at a, we were at a Pray for Snow event, mm-hmm. and we were talking to Jeff, and Jeff was like, you gotta go to Deschutes. You gotta go to Deschutes. You gotta go to this brewery. They have amazing, fresh, homemade, like home, you know, homemade um, ginger beer. But they're not gonna give it to you. Like you can only have it in house. You can't yeah. like fill a growler because they make it in such small batches. And then just kind of like got away from me. Like I was gonna. I had thought about like maybe taking a growlette and just going and being like just a little bit. And then I just, I watched football all day and I didn't go anywhere. I did laundry and like, yeah, just watch football. It was your day off. So I didn't get the amazing, wonderful Deschutes. Uh, it's okay. Well, you beer. know what? We'll go down to Deschutes and we'll, we'll, we'll just go a- to Deschutes. We'll, we'll just go to the bar and we'll order, order. a Moscow mule yeah. and they'll make it like, then a great bartender will have made it for us and it'll be even better. Yeah. Anyway, these are tasty. They're snacking. <laughs> yeah. No, I think you know I like. Great. I just I'm a fan of ginger. I like that like spicy snap. Yeah. I like ginger snap cookies. See, I'm, I'm not a it. big fan of ginger, but I love this Moscow Mule. I think you like ginger and you don't know it. Are you thinking like sushi ginger? No, fuck that shit. I hate that. My buddy Frank. Yeah. Frank, we were all out to sushi, and Frank likes being weird and different. And so to make everybody laugh, he was eating all the ginger off of everybody's plates. And there were a lot of us. So it was a lot of ginger. So he's just like piling in this ginger and pretending like it's no big deal. And all of us are just like, oh, Frank, you're so gross. And his wife is just like rolling her eyes like, oh, my God, I'm married to this guy. (laughs) (laughs) Then I get a text from her that either later that night or the next day. And she goes, (laughs) she goes, Frank was talking to me in the middle of the kitchen. And then all of a sudden just went like, why does it go? And went, ah. Up ginger everywhere. <laughs> so oh, now, whenever no. I get sushi and I see that little pile of ginger, it makes me smile and think of Frank. <laughs> God, that's disgusting. Yeah, no, no. I think I think it's because my dad growing up would always chew on ginger like candies and ginger whatnot, and I would oh. think they're candy, so I went to pop into my mouth. I like, no, yeah, <laughs> ginger candy for a kid. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. But this is nice. This is nice. This is nice to do something So nice. we hope you guys are enjoying a Moscow Mule alongside these wonderful murders. And speaking of murder. I got a murder. I got multiple murders. What? Yeah. Wait, multiple murders or murderers. Get ready. <laughs> okay. Kind of a little from column A, a little from column B. <gasps> I'm so excited. In 1995, okay. a teenage runaway named Jessica Payne's body was found under a mattress on Milwaukee's north side. Her throat was slashed and she was partially clothed. The man ultimately convicted of her murder was Shanti. I think his name is Shanti. Google Sh- Translate. <laughs> C-H-A-U-N-T-E. Shanti Ott. Okay. DNA testing was in its infancy because we're in like the mid-90s, right? Uh, and although semen samples had been recovered, the medical examiner could neither confirm nor exclude Ott. So it didn't really help. 
Okay. So he just was convicted regardless. So fast forward to 2002. The Wisconsin Innocence Project, trying to get out of prison, asked for more testing. So now things have progressed. Mm -hmm. This time, Ott was excluded, but he still remained in prison. Oh, why? Uh, The prison system. They needed more. I don't, yeah, I don't have a great answer for that. All right. So five years later, so now it's 2007, Milwaukee County Assistant DA, Mark Williams, calls the Innocence Project, and he tells them that the DNA from that case has been linked to two other dead women. (gasps) So now they're looking for a serial killer. Oh. And they don't think it's odd, because remember, he was excluded. Yeah. They will eventually discover that this dude, Walter E. Ellis, will avoid arrest for 20 years, even as bodies are being dumped within blocks of his home. What? So Ellis was charged in 2009 with killing seven women, um, but now they're running DNA on all sorts of unsolved crimes over the last in that area over the last 20 years, because they're pretty sure this dude was just murdering people up and down. Yeah. So the first bodies that were discovered uh, were Deborah L. Harris, so she was 31, and Tanya L. Miller. She was 19. Harris was found in the Menominee River on October 10th, 1986, and Miller was found the next day between a house and a garage, and both of them had been strangled. So Bill Vogel, um, he led the Milwaukee Police Department's homicide unit at the time, he suspected a serial killer almost immediately after the second body, after Miller's body had been found. Um, he went to his supervisor um, and he said, I'm pretty sure the same person killed these women. And so this is a quote from him. I entered with a business-like attitude to discuss the matter and I used the word serial. I got reamed out. That was the end of the meeting. I think they were more fearful of the pressure the word could create via the media than anything else. They didn't want the word used. They didn't want it to get out to the media. Okay. So I was going to ask why it was like my case. Like, you know, they didn't want to admit to having a serial killer. I guess maybe it is media pressure. Yeah. And like society pressure that you have to find someone now. The, The flip part of this that like is kind of underlying is that many of these women were sex workers. Okay. So there's also this like, we don't need to worry the public... Because they're not really in danger. But they are. Correct. Because every human is a part of the public. They are. So Nick Sandoval, so he's a detective who worked under Vogel. Vogel. Um, He said that the homicide unit was understaffed and that detectives were overwhelmed by the number of killings they were investigating. There were 85 homicides (gasps) that year. Oh, not linked to the... Okay. Just 85 total. There's just not a lot of manpower. Got it, got it, got it. So the two cases went unsolved. And the talk of a serial killer died down. In November 1992, the body of Irene Smith, she was 25, was found in a trash cart in the alley. Hmm. Two years later, 32-year-old Karen Kilpatrick's body was found in another trash cart in the same alley. As it turns out, that alley runs behind the house where Ellis lived with his mother just a few blocks away. What? But police didn't know that at the time. So Ellis just keeps escaping any sort of scrutiny so smith's case so she was a 25 year old she was added to the city's list of unsolved homicides in kilpatrick's case she was the 32 year old that was found a couple years later police suspected her live-in boyfriend curtis mccoy there were two witnesses and a confession prosecutors charged mccoy with killing kilpatrick she was a mother of five so this is the lawyer of mccoy his defense attorney there was overwhelming 
mountain, uh, there was an overwhelming mountain of evidence against him. So there was a young man that was living with the couple. So this is with McCoy and Kilpatrick, um, kind of a surrogate son of sorts. And he told police that he heard McCoy and Kilpatrick arguing. Then he said he watched um, the man. So he watched from upstairs, from an upstairs window, as McCoy dragged Kilpatrick's body down the back stairs what? and into his van. What? Kilpatrick's five-year-old daughter also testified against McCoy. And she said that she saw him choke her mother and drag the body out the front door. So you have these two witnesses yeah. saying that McCoy did it. So this really connected uh, with so Curtis McCoy. Curtis is his name. So this really connected with Curtis. Curtis was so distraught. So they're telling him, this dude saw it. This little girl saw it. Um, he's convinced through t- like just them talking to him that he was temporarily insane at the time. So part of their oh. interrogation is them saying, this dude that you live with said, like, this is what he says. Yeah. This is what the five-year-old saw. Maybe you were crazy at the time. So he's like, doesn't really remember it, but he's like. But if they're uh, saying I did it. they're saying I, I, did, I did, it. did it. Wait, why did they say that? So he told McCoy, uh, he told the, uh, so McCoy told police that he did not remember the details and said that he choked Kilpatrick, but only to the point of unconsciousness <laughs> that the confession oh. was good enough to be used against him at trial. So like maybe he did attack her, but didn't kill her. Actually or maybe her all body. of it was made up. Like, yeah. So preparing for court, his lawyers, so they have, like, defense investigators, they found eight unsolved homicides that were similar to Kilpatrick's. Oh, no. So they go to the judge. So the judge would not allow the lawyer to argue that there could be a serial killer loose in the city. Um, And he wouldn't allow police to turn over records in the other cases to the defense. The defense is like, look at these other eight murders. I think someone's a serial Like. This guy's being lumped into this crime that I think is a serial killer. And the judge is like, no, you don't get to say that there's a serial killer. And they're like, well, how about can the police turn over their records so that we can look at the, like, details of these other crimes? No, you don't get, they don't have to what? do that. Jesus. When is this? What year is this? Uh, mm, still in the 90s? I think we're in the 90s. So, judge won't allow it. So, one of the defense uh, investigators is Dale Wiggins. He's so alarmed by the decision that he writes the judge a letter. And he says... To properly pursue an investigation that may yield a serial killer, some basic details must be known. Not only could the information from the other investigations exculpate Mr. McCoy, it could assist in solving other cases. The police admittedly do not have time or the resources to actively pursue such cases. So he's essentially saying like, dude, I think there's a serial killer. The police don't have time to investigate. We're offering to investigate because we're trying to make this guy... We're trying to prove that he's innocent. Yeah. What did the judge say? The judge would not change his mind. Are you shitting me? He's now deceased. The judge? The judge is now deceased. But at the time, it was like 1990s. All right. Okay, so even with all of that information, the jury found McCoy not guilty. Okay. Uh, at the time, his lawyer said that there was public outcry. People complained that he'd been uh, gotten off on a technicality. By, ni- uh, by 1997, he had moved to Mississippi. So the, the lawyer is saying, like, yes, he got, like, he wasn't wrongfully convicted, but they impounded his car. He never got it back. He lost his kids. He, lo- like, he lost everything, everything and yeah. just moved to another state. Yeah. So in June of that year, the body of Joyce Mims was found in a vacant home. Here you go again. Police immediately suspected george mule jones oh 
<laughs> you were giving me this crazy look. I was like, what is That's going my tie on? to the Moscow mule that this random dude that they think killed someone, his name was Mule. <laughs> Good job, Jackie. <laughs> you gave me the craziest look. I gave you a real, a real crazy smile. So police immediately suspect George Mule Jones. So he's 52 at the time. Uh, Mule had served time for manslaughter. He had confessed to strangling a 24-year-old woman named Shamika Carter. So he admitted to it. Like, he, he did kill her. Yeah. Mule had been friends with Sims for years. So this woman that had turned up dead in a vacant home knew Mule, and he already had this record. Okay. So Mule and Sims used to party together back in their hometown of Cleveland. Uh, Cleveland, Mississippi. Well, double town name. Uh, they had an on-again, off-again romantic relationship, and although Sims sometimes traded sex for drugs, she was very cautious, her friends would say, and she rarely went off with men she didn't know. So they were saying, like, Mule, like, she knew Mule, like, she wouldn't have gone off with some stranger. Yeah. Even though she did kind of have sex with strangers for drugs. Uh, I know, she knew him. Mule took a lie detector test, and he denied killing Sims. He also said that he'd never, uh, that he had never put a dead woman's body in a garage, in a garbage cart. And the polygraph examiner found his answers to be deceptive. Well, we know that that's... Because lie detectors are bullshit. Yeah. They're yeah. fucking bullshit. Pseudo science. How in the hell <laughs> they still get used. They only get used to coerce people. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, well, if you're, if you're innocent, you'll do... You know what I mean? Like, they're only used for trickery. Yeah. What was it? Kyle going through the military. They, they hooked him up to one. My sister got hooked up to one for yeah. being in a corner. Yeah. Yeah. And you just have to, you keep calm. You just have to accept that that, ugh. Yeah. Imagine me trying to keep calm. <laughs> Is your name Jacqueline? <laughs> oh, just getting sweat. It's like being in a dentist chair. Like, you just get so sweaty. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my sister said it. My sister said at one point, the guy was like, um, you need to quit jiggling your leg. Because she was just, like, nervously, like, leg, ba- leg bouncing. Yeah. Anyway, so he fails this bullshit test. <laughs> uh, Mule has, so he also has a connection to Sheila Fer- Ferrier. So she's 37. She's found strangled in a vacant house in 1995. Mm. And she had spent time at the Friendship Club, which is a hangout for recovering alcoholics. Oh. So at. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great name. What are you doing tonight? I'm uh, hanging out. I'm hanging out at the Friendship Club. club. So down oh, at the Friendship Jesus. Club. Mule hung out there, Sims uh, hung out there, and so did Ferrier. So Mule knows these gals. Yeah. He's just kind of hanging out in these circles. So investigators compare his DNA with evidence found on eight dead women, and it matched only one case, and that was Carter, the woman he had said that he had killed. Mm-hmm. So he's an honest killer. Yeah, he killed that one lady, and the evidence says that, and now there's all these other ladies that they're trying to pin on him. Was that, that self-defense, or why did he kill that lady, or? Uh, I mean, he's a murderer. He killed her. Okay. He strangled her and she died. Oh. And obviously there was some sort of DNA also around. Yeah. I don't get the sense that Mule's a great guy. Okay. So like, yeah, you shouldn't get accused of stuff you didn't do, but I also don't think we're building a statue of him. (laughs) So, uh, do, 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 do. Investigators did not, back then, compare the DNA found on Mims with the genetic material found on Farrier, so they didn't connect them. Uh, when they finally did, years later, it matched. So now they, be- now they believe that they're also victims of Ellis. So they're starting to build this DNA case of all these people that all have the same DNA 
on their bodies that didn't yeah. get connected at the time. So after Mule's arrest, police convened a task force to investigate the unsolved murders of all these ladies. And initially, 44 officers were assigned to the task force uh, full-time. After about a year, it included seven full-time and six part-time officers, but still like a whole force for it. Um, Ellis's name surfaced during that time, but he was only one of many suspects, according to Milwaukee police detective Stephen Woo Spignola. <laughs> Uh, who personally investigated several of the cases linked to him. Ellis's name popped up because this is uh, Spignola talking. Ellis's name popped up because he lived in the neighborhood uh, where some of the bodies were left. You can't believe how many people were interviewed in those cases. There were thousands of people interviewed. Yeah. He said that he isn't surprised that Ellis lived in the area near where many of the bodies were dumped. Um, several were in empty buildings. He goes, how else would you know it was vacant? He knows the neighborhood. He knows the haunts. He could just wave and nod and get down the street and get out of there. No mm. one would think twice of seeing yeah. him. So the original guy from the beginning of the story, Ott was released from prison uh, in January after serving 13 years in the murder of pain. Oh, my God. He recently filed a lawsuit against the city, two former police chiefs, and several detectives. Wow. So there were all sorts of people who were getting true criminal charges and, like, did time yeah. for these murders that were... Ellis's. That's insane. So they did catch him. He did go to jail. I think he died in jail in like 2013. That guy affected so many people. Like not so, only not the, the victims, the yeah. victims' families, but like other people in the outskirts of everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Dude, that's insane. Yeah. I got really lost in the story because at first I was like, oh, there's a serial killer named Yule. Boom. And I was like, wait, he, no, he didn't kill. And I was like, who's this other dude? Oh and then all these God. other people started. And I was like, oh, this is homework. <laughs> I just yeah. sifted all through. Dude, mine was, the first article I read it for mine was pretty detailed, and then I started reading the second one, and I was like, oh, Jesus, Lanta. Like, there's so much. Jesus, Lanta? <laughs> I've never heard that. That's good. <laughs> the Moscow's are flowing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. Just a lot of details in both of these. dang -o. I think yours needed, like, a diagram. Like, I wish you were doing the overhead projector thing where you're writing stuff out. Oh, and, like, there's nothing better than an overhead projector. I miss those Little vis-a-vis -vis markers and transparent. Mm-hmm. Woof, takes me back. <laughs> Woof, takes me back. Um, yeah, well, this has been another week with Jackie and Drea. As always, go check out our Instagram. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Killer Cocktails. As always, on our talent was Jackie and Drea. Uh, be sure to check out our Instagram at Killer Cocktails Podcast or stop by our website, KillerCocktailsPodcast.com, for up to date information, photos, contests, and more. Our logo was created by Michelle Firm, whose amazing art can be found at MichelleFirmDesign.com. Use coupon code KillerCocktails, that's one word, for 15% off your entire order. Our music was created by Nikolai Heidlus, and we'll be back next week on hashtag MurderMondays. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a Keebler elf in my outfit. This hat with this sweatshirt and these socks, oh. and I don't wear socks. A what a kind of elf? A Keebler. Keebler. A Keebler elf. What are you talking about? The cookies. The cookie elves. What? Keebler elves. Pillsbury. Oh, come on. <laughs> no. Pillsbury's a doughboy. You mean the ones on the tree? Yeah. Those oh, are those cookies? Keebler elves. Keebler. K-E-E-B-L-E-R. What are those cookies called? They're not Keeblers. There are all sorts of different cookies. They're, they make sandies and fudge. the company fudge. Yeah. Oh.